Welcome to Duct Tape and Paperclips. I'm Nathan Hartswick. And I'm Annie Russell. This is the show where we rewatch, review, and ridicule every episode of MacGyver for the first time since our childhoods. Yes, and tonight we are breaking down season one, episode 19, Slow Slow Death. Slow Death. (laughs) And that it is. Um, Is it going to hold up? We're going to find out. But first... Hi, Annie. Oh, my God. We're winding down to the final few episodes of the season. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. When we started this, I felt like this was such a long season, you know, because with so many shows that I watch, the norm is like 10 episodes, (laughs) eight episodes. (laughs) And to to try to wrap my head around this many um, was a lot. But now I'm it's becoming real (laughs) that like we're going to have to say goodbye to this season. (laughs) Yeah. Season one is finally coming to a close. And it, uh, you know, those seasons of 10 episodes, you'll there'll be one that's not very good, maybe (laughs) out of the 10. (laughs) Yeah, this is like a whole different. It's probably the same ratio, right? It's like a third. This is like we're throwing everything against the wall. And if half of them stick, fabulous, you know, how's life, how's things going in your life these, this week? Life is good. I put up my Christmas tree, so I'm very psyched about that. I got my Christmas, uh, stuff going. Um, I am trying to do Christmas without, uh, using any big box retail or Mm -hmm. online conglomerate giants, And it's already proving to be really challenging for me. So that is like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how not in person um, to do, because normally you could go to any number of like local places and, and it's hard to do that in California right now because we are back in another yeah. mini lockdown. So yeah, so it's been already challenging. I've had to get kind of creative. Yeah, that's a weird, I mean, I've just been trying to like, kind of be kind to myself and tell myself that like I have the best of intentions and there are certain things that I'm going to be good at and certain things, you know, obviously like I feel the same way about this holiday season. And yet there have been some times where I've been, (laughs) I've fallen off the Amazon wagon and been like, all right, well, you know, I did that because it was easy and fast and I'll be, I'll be better next time. We can't all be uh, perfect all of the time, especially during this very <laughs> historically unprecedented time. Yeah, I was telling someone uh, the other day that like, if you feel normal right now, yeah. like there is something that's kind <laughs> of off. Because... You're probably incredibly wealthy. That's probably what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm strangely optimistic because I'm feeling like, okay, so we've got a couple of vaccines in the pipeline and it's going to be a miserable winter, but we're going to get through it. Yeah. And I think like getting through winters is... Uh, you know, we're all used to that. <laughs> I think yeah, we right. will. This is just a particularly, yeah, it's miserable particularly miserable. But I yeah. think a lot of people, like especially living in Vermont, you have those friends who you don't see them right. from October to right. May, and and then everyone comes together in the spring summer. So yeah. it'll be like that, but to the extreme. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I I think the thing that's missing from that is the ability to go in someplace warm and sit by a fire yeah. and have a beer with a friend. And that's yes. that, that's a kind of catch up we won't be able or to, to do. Or to see but. a comedy show, which right. is another big uh indeed. But uh what have I what have I been doing this week? Um Oh, we did a thing. We do a holiday party at the club every year, as you know. Mm-hmm. That's like a combination open mic and Yankee swap. So comedians bring a lousy, shitty present that's wrapped and we put all of them on stage. And then when a comedian gets on stage, they unwrap a present 
uh, decide whether they, whether they want to swap it or not. And then they do their three minutes of stand up or whatever. And we were really sad we wouldn't be able to do that because Natalie usually hosts it and she usually gets drunk throughout the night and it's super fun. <laughs> oh, and, I'm uh, aware. Yeah, she's it's a usually real, really fun. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a wild fun night. Um, so we're going to do a zoom version of that. And, uh, we went to the club the other day and, uh, opened a window and put a table there and comedians came by and dropped off their Yankee swap gifts. So we'll have oh, all the Yankee fun. swap gifts on the zoom and we'll be able to present them to everybody. Uh, oh, that so, is cool. So that was super fun to get to see a bunch of masked people pop by on the sidewalk and hand their present through the window and stand around in the cold and, you know, talk to us for a few minutes. So that was great. Well, I, yeah, I look forward to checking out the show on Zoom. Yeah, that's about it. Well, let's get into the episode. We've got a guest. Our guest tonight is India's most intelligent comedian, according to the New York Times. He's also a very talented writer and director. And once upon a time, we drank too much in New York City bars together. Please welcome my buddy, Anubhav Pal. Hi, Anubhav. <laughs> Hello, Nathan. Hello, Annie. Uh, it's Hello. great to see you again. It's been a long, long time. It has. It has. And in all the years we knew each other, Nathan, you never talked about how much you like MacGyver. Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe we're just in a I I I imagine our friendship as like uh dumbass early 20s uh yes. people like like blindly stumbling through New York trying to figure out uh, what to do with our lives and trying to put our childhoods behind. Yes. You know, it was yes. like the first time we were like real adults, really in New York, smoking and drinking and going places. And uh, I, I had no interest in sharing my my babyish obsession with juvenile TV shows um, from my childhood. I yeah, guess. I imagine when you're like 22 or, or whatever, like, yeah. The last thing you want to talk about is how cool you think MacGyver right, was. Right, because yeah. nobody else thought it was cool, even when I was watching it. They certainly wouldn't <laughs> think it was cool. Uh, we, we, had, we were refining our tastes at that point in our lives, I think. Um, that, okay. That's the yeah. thing. I think, well, two things. Annie, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think the thing is that if you give income, any sort of income to people in the early 20s, it's a bad thing. <laughs> oh yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I was in New York from when I was 22 to like 29 or so. So I spent like basically oh, wow. my whole 20s in New York and I shudder to think um of the things <laughs> I was getting myself into uh and the situations. Sometimes I, I just think about the amount of money that I made and promptly pissed away. Well, York. the thing is I I'm actually like shocked by how little money I earned and how I was able yeah. to keep myself alive on that <laughs> amount of money in yeah. New York City, which like, I don't even want to say the number of, you know, what I was making when I was 22. But like, my God, how did I how did not? Um, I don't know. Perish. I, mean, I don't know. It, it kind of taints you for life. Like even now, um, when I have an income and a home and some sort of a life, I still think, oh, I should eat a slice of pizza and eat some shawarma and go home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still guided by my New York City ex you know, expense-related thing. And also, it was a bit different for me because I was born in India, I was raised in India, and I came to the United States as a student. And I didn't have a lot of reference points hmm. for the thing I was studying. So I was studying uh, drama and writing. And I sort of, you know, we were taught in Indian schools, all the tentpole stuff like William Shakespeare. And but when I met people in college or when I met Nathan, like I learned about Animal House and you know, like <laughs> like American 
uh, MacGyver. Like these were not things I knew anything about, or even music. You know, like you knew the Beatles, you knew Rolling Stones, but you didn't know the Dave Matthews Band. You didn't know mm. a lot of stuff. It didn't really translate outside the United States, especially the cult stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember that. It, it, those years would have been very hard for me to like watch MacGyver and make fun of it or anything <laughs> because I wanted to just sound impressive. Like I just yeah. wanted to sound like I knew things. Yeah. You were trying to play catch up kind of on all of yeah. the stuff you were supposed to know in this culture, right? Yeah. I'm 22. Like I knew Knight Rider, but I didn't know like <laughs> Christopher Guest. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so anytime you meet a fellow artist, you just want to spend that time showing off saying, you know, I may be from another culture and I, you know, but I know this and I know that. And, you know, I've gone to the theater and I go to Lincoln Center and shit, I'm broke. But, you know, like, <laughs> but you just want to, you, you have no time for irony. You just want to show yeah. off. Um, yeah, right. So you mentioned that you wouldn't have been aware of MacGyver. Like, had you watched any of it before I made you watch it for this or... Like, I did had, it seep in? I, years later, I got obsessed with a couple of things. Uh, old black and white movies. So my knowledge of like Frank Capra and stuff like To Catch a Thief and Jimmy Stewart and all of that came from late night TV and uh, bad television. So USA, I think, was the channel that used to show mm-hmm. a lot of this. And because on Indian TV, we used to get Knight Rider. I had a thing for protagonists in mullets. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it was and I just maybe because of the action or whatever A-team, we used to get A-team we used to get Knight Rider I didn't know MacGyver but one day I was watching it and then I was like wow this guy fights with science that's great <laughs> that sounded like a Bollywood film so I was like then I, was, I was hooked I think that you're doing God's work the two of you <laughs> Uh, by connecting MacGyver to the world now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like it was cut from the same mold as Knight Rider and the A-Team, but it wanted to break that mold by being like, but he's also got like this conscience and he never uses a gun and he's good with kids. Like there was a moral code that the other ones didn't seem to have. Yeah. It was so wholesome compared to some of the other, um, you know, shows of the time, which had like the cool protagonist. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think, you know, America was also my first brush with like proper capitalism. I grew up in an India. India today is very like American and it, like it's like the whole world, Netflix, Amazon, all of that, you know. Yeah. But I grew up in a very sort of socialist, almost Soviet influenced India. Hmm. So TV was very state run. So we had this program called Physics Quiz and stuff and that would show up <laughs> in the 80s and there'd be like two physics professors who'd be doing this face-off with students mm-hmm. and the thing was always some physics thing where you'd get a ball to bounce of a thing and then go hit a wall and then open a door or something you know like <laughs> things that you see on youtube videos now you know where those guys yeah, do those like things yeah. thing, or yeah. that you see in your actual science class not yeah, a yeah. professionally run television show yeah. <laughs> yeah not on tv at night on prime time exactly any yeah so we have that i was like wow. that was so cool and then when i saw macgyver i was like shit this is like physics today via Rambo. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so you liked that show. Like when you were a kid, you that's a show you would have watched and enjoyed as a kid. I'd watch it right now. <laughs> I'd watch any of those right now. I'd give up my Netflix. <laughs> I don't want to watch Ozark. I want to watch this. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, I mean, I, it is interesting to me also that a lot of people find the science part of MacGyver the, the sort of thing that, that puts them off. It's like, oh, he just uses like nerd stuff to... 
But it, it feels like that's what attracted you to this hero <laughs> is the fact that I, he was I, using science. Look, I was always a gigantic loser, you know, like in terms of like physical hitting things, etc. In fact, I, I'm much more comfortable in today's world where people are like, oh, we need to, you know, as men or whatever, listen to whole sentences and not just break <laughs> things and hit things. Because a lot of protagonists in that era, as Annie mentioned, you mentioned as well, they were all about like, you know, saying inappropriate things and then hitting people who were right. doing even more inappropriate things. But, the, you know, like James Bond or whatever, like the protagonist was always never politically correct. Mm -hmm. in multiple relationships like he would be considered creepy in 2020 right, right. Uh, yeah and he uh, never that... played by the rules and people were constantly trying to tell him what to do and he was off on his own as this rogue yeah it was like macho yeah the macho code yeah was like, but he was attractive so it's right. fine right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> with with no sense of commitment or family mm -hmm. right, or right. any sense of responsibility or whatever he would like show up in a scene give some temporary love and disappear and that was enough but what I liked about this guy was that he had a moral code, but it was also very like uh, harmless and innocent. And, you know, I, I was really attracted to that sort of, I don't think it was until 2014, 15 when it got okay for men to be like that. You know? yeah. I think you hit on something that is probably one of the big reasons I was attracted to it as a kid. Cause I knew at a very young age, I was not going to be a macho dude. And, uh, <laughs> and this was a hero who was like, cool with his mullet and his mind and his sensitivity and his kindness. Um, and, and the fact that other people looked at him and said, that guy's the coolest. And he was able to, you know, not have to be a big, strong Rambo guy like that, that definitely connected with my young, sensitive boy mind, you know, I love that. I love well, let's Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into it, man. Let's get, let's get into this. I want to talk about this episode so badly. Uh, let's get a little summary to refresh everyone's memory before we do that. Yes. So the summary of this episode, no sooner has MacGyver jumped onto a moving train in rural India when it's hijacked by tribesmen. Uh, they are looking for two Western businessmen who sold tainted medicine to their village, which poisoned 26 people. The hijackers deny the passengers food and water to force a confession. Eventually, MacGyver builds a lie detector to ferret out the guilty men and convinces the tribal leader to let them stand trial rather than be executed. And that's this episode all taking place on this oh, train. And so much more. Um, we're going to share our opinions on what worked and what didn't in this episode, as well as how we think it would hold up now. But before we get to that, um, Anavab, what was it? What was your first impression when you turned on MacGyver again for the first time in God knows how many years? So, by the way, guys, thank you for making me aware of this episode <laughs> because it combines <laughs> it combines two of my favorite things. I've always loved MacGyver, and I take a lot of trains in India. I just do. <laughs> uh, it's just a fact. I, I I'm like going to guess travel. this train wasn't actually in India, but <laughs> go on. I don't think it was, but. Uh, in all my train travel in India, I've never seen one with a full service bar. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen one with a giant lamb sandwich and a glass of milk? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and next time I take a train in India, I'm going to ask for a <laughs> lamb sandwich and a glass of milk <laughs> while my neighbor drinks a double scotch whiskey. Right. Uh, I mean, in the U.S. too. I mean, I think we've all, like, I have been to the Amtrak, uh, you know, service car mm -hmm. and it is a frozen pizza that they microwave and a mini bottle of gross wine. Those are the options. <laughs> like, it is not a double scotch and like a freshly made sandwich. Um, so I don't know where that's coming from. So 
just for this podcast, just for you guys, because you're spending all this time with MacGyver, I called up my granddad. Uh, oh, really? And I asked him, because <laughs> uh, he, he was a big train enthusiast. And I was like, listen, the trains that the British left behind in India, did those ever have bars on them? And he said, yeah, they had bars and full dining cars. Okay. And they had waiters in full lounge suits, etc. Of course, I then asked him if any of the waiters were Americans. (laughs) (laughs) And he said no, uh, because in this episode, the ticket master and the conductor, both on a rural Indian train, happened to be Americans. Or at least white people. The the younger of the two, I had an issue with his accent. I couldn't place where he was supposed to be from. Very unclear. They're not Indian, that's for sure. Yeah. So in this era, does your grandfather think, like in the 80s, that this might have been a thing? So I told him where the bar was placed, which in MacGyver was right next to the chair car. Mm-hmm. So there was, if you notice the compartment where all the trouble happens, as Annie mentioned, there's a robbery uh, or a train, great train robbery, a holdup, you know, yeah. larceny, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> other words for train things. Um, <laughs> there's a chair car and in the chair car, there's a bar. It's all happening in this one compartment, which is what I think they could afford in the set. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said that that would not happen, that apparently they they would have chair cars and they'd have sleepers. Um, and then they'd have a full dining area. Um, mm-hmm. I'm being pedantic. None of this matters in the greatness <laughs> of the train that these guys have made. But all I want to say is, whatever train MacGyver made for India, I want that train for India now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy if I'm robbed along the way or stopped, but I just want that full service bar between Mumbai and Delhi on the overnight. That's it really does sound great. (laughs) I feel like pop culture really makes train travel look luxurious in a way that I have never experienced um, on a train. Yeah, we just, this was definitely, they were like, we're going to do our own version of like Murder on the Orient Express, right? But they have like three miles of track somewhere outside of LA (laughs) and a train for three days. But the fact that like, you know, right away when the episode starts, we meet everybody like like yeah. MacGyver cruises up in that in that taxi and everybody in the train like says something that tells you exactly what archetype that person is. Right. OK, yes. we've got this young yuppie couple. They're in love. OK, we've got a jovial Indian train conductor. OK, cool. Yes. We've got uh, this doctor with one arm who's belligerent. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. It's all very like these are all the characters that are going to be your suspects later. So pay mm-hmm. attention. It felt like my first impressions of this were it felt like clue or something totally, like it felt yeah, like the yeah. beginning was just like okay we're gonna meet everybody in this murder mystery um you know and then later we'll figure out how these pieces all fit together exactly and also like he has a car that follows the train <laughs> he makes eye contact with the train driver who slows down the train yeah <laughs> so macgyver could get on it which is something I'm 100% going to try the yeah. next time I'm back in India. Uh, well, first of all, ask your taxi driver if he'll drive 100 miles an hour next to a set of train tracks yeah, so yeah. you can flag them down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But although I was thinking this is not the only attempt of an American uh, pop piece of pop culture to use an Indian train. Hmm. Wes Anderson did yeah. the Darjeeling Limited right, right. where he rented a whole Indian train and started by trying to get Bill Murray on that train. And of course, Wes Anderson does what Wes Anderson does to an Indian train. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
There's something about Americans wanting to jump onto Indian trains. <laughs> yeah, there's like a romantic quality, I think, yeah. to trains, yeah. um, especially internationally, where it's like, you know, you're going to. I, I just thought of one of my favorite movies, actually, Before Sunrise, um, also is like this romantic, like we're on a train internationally and some, you know, you know, amazing thing is going to happen on this train. I feel like that's a, a trope. Yeah, yeah. Also, this particular compartment in MacGyver, like in any other sort of type of show, they'll at least try some effort to make it a bit realistic. So, you know, a guy is in one compartment, he has to run to another compartment to meet his friend or whatever. Here, all the Americans and expats are in one compartment. (laughs) (laughs) All the Indians are in some other compartment. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to know where the Indians were because (laughs) it was an Indian train and I didn't see very many folks. I guess we should tell the listeners that at some point there is this grand larceny and and a man called Hassan, who is, as Annie pointed out, the head of the tribesmen, uh, he holds the train hostage by blowing up a bridge. And I think the even the train driver says, if we cross this bridge, we'll be on the other side where the bandits can't get us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, this is a trope that's, uh, I have to add, has been used uh, in American TV shows, but also the most popular film in Bollywood. Um, I don't know what the American equivalent be. The Godfather equivalent mm. of Bollywood is a film called Shole, and it's about two bandits on a train. Um, mm-hmm. So this fascination with trains is also very Indian. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, but the amusing thing is the bandit head. He he takes all the Indian people, and he takes them and he keeps them safe. And yeah. only the Americans that are told now sort out amongst yourselves which of you are the saboteurs. <laughs> yeah, right. And I I watched that. And I kept wondering. Yeah, that's fine, but. Even the Indian people had to get somewhere, right? right? Like, right. I mean, what if one of the Indian people were like, "Listen, man, don't seclude. I just, I just want to cross this bridge and go to the other side." Yeah, yeah. You know, you've still kidnapped me, right? Like, I didn't really think about the segregation of this train and of like the suspects versus the non-suspects like they hijack this train they're looking for some white people americans or europeans and oh lo and behold this whole car is full of them <laughs> and the rest of the yeah. train is indian people so we don't have to worry about that we're just going to sequester this one train full or, or this one car which you know lu- luckily the railroad has gone to the trouble of of segregating this railroad for us <laughs> so that we can yeah, so that we can and, grab this one car full and just the absurdity of like all right you're going to build this lie detector and you'll figure it out amongst (laughs) yourselves who is the one that we need to enact this justice on. Um, Yeah, a little, like, Hassan was a little bit passive in that situation, I felt. But, like, uh, this whole plan uh, has some holes as far as I'm concerned. Like, I understand how cool it is to blow up a bridge, but, A, it took, I counted, 20 whole fucking minutes of watching people set dynamite before we finally blew the <laughs> fucking thing up. And B, um, you have an inside man on the train with a gun. So just send that guy up to the engineer and be like, put a gun to his head and be like, stop the train. Why do you have to blow up a whole bridge to do it? You could have stopped the train with that one inside man. Yeah, so they, they had the hold up and then that guy gets beaten up or whatever and he stopped. But they don't take the gun away from him, do they? He's still got a gun. Like, He's got a gun, correct. Overpower correct. him or anything. No. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, 
I mean, MacGyver's entrance we talked about is uh, unnecessary, uh, but cool. Like, it's cool to watch him jump onto a moving train. Um, later on in later seasons, he becomes a vegetarian. That is clearly not the case here. Um, another unnecessary thing in this episode is um, MacGyver's whole reason for being on this train. Mm -hmm. He has this mission. He's just coming from one mission, going to another mission. And the existence of this Andrea Collins, who, by the way, is a very American name, um, name. this woman he meets who's from the <laughs> State Department, who pegs him as a spy right away, and he unloads his entire like state secrets on her, even though he doesn't know her right away. All that shit is totally unnecessary, the plot of this episode. Like, I don't understand why we need to know any of that. None of the people chasing MacGyver when he's in that cab catch up to him at any point in the episode. Why do we need to know all this? And what's the purpose of Andrea as a character? She was fantastic. By the way, let me tell you, every person I've met working at a consulate in India, subsequent to my return from the United States, uh, has had a name like Andrea Collins. Oh, really? And, <laughs> and looked like Andrea Collins in that show. And I could... I'm probably 100% sure that they're not American citizens. Huh. You know, that that we have some sort of a plot where Americans are like, ah, eh, fuck <laughs> it. We're not sending over real diplomats. We just want people that look like American diplomats. We'll give them like diplomatic clothes and we'll give them a name like, you know, Jackie Jones. Like they're not a real <laughs> name. Uh, and we'll just make them in charge of things. So I just felt like this was like somebody's idea of what, an American woman would be in India who worked for the State Department. Yeah, you know, yeah, like that's yeah. that's that's scarily accurate. Yeah. yeah, I also I feel like her her wardrobe played into that, and I also felt like MacGyver was wearing an outfit that I can only describe as like American traveler outfit, and I was just like, how many times are we going to see the same beige outfits um, on <laughs> an American who is traveling internationally, and what is the purpose of it? You know, at some point that outfit has a crossover into like billionaire relaxing clothes mm -hmm. <laughs> in the 21st century like so, like if you look at that main guy from silicon valley the guy who owns the google equivalent yes uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's always in like these cottony yeah, yoga-y kind of clothes but oh active wear huge for the rich for some reason and and certain states in the u.s uh Vermont being one of them, um, because I worked as a journalist there, the public officials will always be in like a the crispest like fleece vest that you've ever seen. <laughs> That's clearly they've never gone hiking in it. Um, and like a hiking boot that has never touched dirt. Um, it's just like this really strange um, way to sort of convey like I'm very wealthy, but I also this is how I'm showing you that I'm yeah. laid back. Um, and, and also exactly. And MacGyver's case, it was also that sort of philanthropic, like creamy mm -hmm. kind of Indian-y design of light cotton as a top. You know, like you see that Bill and Melinda Gates wear nonsense like that when they come to India. <laughs> <laughs> 
Talk yeah, that's about- what I'm saying. It's the same like beige cotton, yes. like yes. top and bottom. And it yes. sort of like signifies like international aid worker or yes. <laughs> traveler. And you're just like, why is it that you can only wear one color when doing this type of work? Yes. They became very popular in the turn of the century with like Banana Republic mm-hmm. and people like that. You know, they used a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, loads of protagonists in tropical countries always wore stuff like that. Mm-hmm. MacGyver's look changes in this episode from the last episode. And my guess is uh, the previous two episodes, two or three episodes, actually, he's had a broken hand and they've had to either hide or address the fact that he has a cast on his hand. No cast anymore, which I'm assuming means they must have taken a little break because also his hair is much longer and much blonder. So he's got <laughs> he's starting to get that like real sun drenched kind of like hot guy mullety kind of look to him that we haven't seen previous. So it's fun to see that his look evolve a little. Yes, no jacket this time around. No, uh, it's hot out there in the Indian sun. <laughs> Especially if you're chasing trains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he does. He does seem a lot more relaxed in this episode. Like he's sort of in his element, kind of like, you know, directing traffic the whole time. I would love to have MacGyver's job only because he doesn't work very many hours. Like yeah. he is, his schedule is very relaxed. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I talk about this all the time and uh, I know it's going to sound, uh, it's so boring, but um, the... ADR additional dialogue recording on this episode particularly is unconscionable. And I know uh, like, it's very clear that this is not a green screen technology. They actually got a train and shot on it for three days or whatever. And so almost the entire episode is just clearly them dubbing over their own voices the whole time. And it drives me crazy for a few reasons. I think subconsciously you register it because the lips can't possibly match exactly. And I, but I also think, in a show like this where you have unconvincing acting performances to begin with, uh, and then you sort of add kind of the forced, okay, now say the thing you just said, but say it like exactly the same. Uh, there's just not the same emotion in it. So the acting suffers too. So you get this like weird stilted, like you don't know why, but you're like uncomfortable watching the episode um, because just the sound and what you're watching just don't quite match. You know, it drives me crazy. And it's one thing to do like three or four lines, but for a whole episode, it was driving me nuts. (laughs) My favorite place for that was in the climax where it was found out that one of the guilty people were one of the train conductors. Hmm. And I think his line of dialogue was, you'll never get me or run or something like. Yeah, yeah. And, but then he, the, the dub doesn't match the thing. Yeah. So then you just see him <laughs> saying something and then MacGyver yeah. says, get him. And you don't know. So that's a pretty large piece of information that this guy's the mean criminal. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for a second, as an audience member, you think, okay, there's this bald guy that they caught. Who's this other guy who's running? Right. Why did this other guy grab the gun? I guess they're together, but it's never said because they skipped the dub. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was very confusing for me as well. Uh, that 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 younger train conductor character, uh, his voice was awful. His acting was weird. His choices were all off the, 
uh, off the wall and suddenly he has a gun at the end and you're like, but it's only a split second. So it doesn't give you a time to register. It was oh, two he's the seconds. Accomplice. And the guy who was actually being, you know, Ed MacGyver was administering this lie detector to this other guy. And <laughs> that was just so fast that it was very confusing. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. who was this person? Why were they motivated to do right. this? Like, exactly. what are I thought we the same even thing. looking at right now? <laughs> and um, was this their plan? <laughs> like, did the guy get a job on a train so they could blend in after the fact? Yeah, was their so plan to poison strange. a bunch of villagers like what's so strange. going on and then the train conductor with the gun at the last minute and you're like what am i yeah. what oh. is happening right now what do you have against hassan and his family like this is right. so confusing <laughs> my my favorite part about the lie the administration of the lie detector test is when the bad guy takes his jacket off he oh, already yeah. has his long sleeve shirt <laughs> rolled up past his elbow like he's clearly done four takes before and the director's just yeah. like fuck it just just roll it up just leave it up uh, who wears a long sleeve shirt rolled up sleeves and a jacket over the top of that it's very uncomfortable if you just ever lumps. put on a sweater and your shirt accidentally yeah. rolls up you know yeah, like this is not a choice um, <laughs> if oh, we so actually take this plot back to if they are authentic about it just imagine what they're saying is the main villain of this piece his accomplice took an Indian train conductor exam, which takes <laughs> six years. It's a six-year process to become a junior Is train conductor. Right? Yeah, oh you start, God. I think, cleaning compartments and then you work your oh way up, whatever. God. So this guy would have had to plan this robbery and poisoning <laughs> seven years before. Plant himself, live as an imposter for seven yeah. years, doing this thing up oh. and down. Seven years even before this poisoning happens. Yeah. Or he's an imposter and he's somehow, he just got himself an outfit, in which yeah. case, mm. but then the boss who got shot would have recognized that he doesn't belong on that train. So it, it doesn't hold up. I think, um, I think if anything, this is a, a huge sort of um, insult to the Indian Railways Central Examination <laughs> process. <laughs> What is your opinion, uh, Anubhav, about the, the cultural representation otherwise? Like, for instance, the villagers who are setting the dynamite. I, I, I was curious about the language that's being spoken when they were setting up the dynamite. I was, you know, I don't know anything about rural India in the 80s. So you tell me how, how accurate or inaccurate was that? So here's the thing. The, we were talking about fashion earlier on. I, I, I do want to spend a second sort of praising the bandit outfits Really? Um, okay. Surprising. Well, well, it's it's the great bandit outfits. They're fantastic mm. bandit outfits. They're only two hundred years off. Yeah. <laughs> this, wrong oh, with the bandit is. this is a trend yeah. for this show this every time we go to another country we go back hundreds of years yeah um, so i'm sure hassan wow. and his band of bandits you know uh so so we're in an indian train i assuming we're in an indian train in the 70s in the 80s 1986 1986 yeah. right mm -hmm. an indian train would probably look like that an Indian train conductor look like Super Mario, probably look like that. <laughs> you know, it's fair enough. Indian yeah. villages, I'll give you that. But because um, they're wearing saris and the men are in traditional outfit, fair enough. I've seen a lot of that on trains. Um, these guys had sashes and turbans mm. um, like they were fighting the first Afghan war. They even had <laughs> swords and old dynamite. So yeah. that would be from the 1840s. Yeah. I was thinking because like they're riding horses and using mirrors to signal one another. I I'm like, they got to have walkie talkies or something, right? Like, yes. yes. Yeah. 
I don't know much about the Indian Dacoit badlands of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there were, but I'm quite sure they'd have rifles and yeah, jeeps yeah. Right. Know, and motorcycles. Exactly. I would assume, um, like, for example, you know, uh, there are still pirates in the high seas, right? Uh, I, I've, I read about pirates off the coast of the Philippines or yeah, in Somalia. But they have AK-47s. Yes, they're, but they're modern-day pirates. Right? I don't think today's pirates are saying, arg and have <laughs> moustache yeah. Yeah. and are drinking rum and breaking things, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, loved, I loved the fact that Hassan's crew were 200 years uh, before the MacGyver crew. I just thought that that was a fabulous... That's so great. Uh, it reminded me of James Bond a little bit or Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, that kind of stuff, because uh, some of, in, in some of those things, India is timeless. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like... Indiana Jones is set in whatever the 1980s, but then in Temple of Doom, he goes to this Indian priest and everyone in, in India is in like 1780. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, there's some right. sort of a, a, a crazy like monkey yeah. ritual going on, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is like a consistent thing. I think in pop culture in the 80s too, American pop culture is, and we've talked about this before, is just like every other place is is weird and and bad because they're different and wrong. And especially since the world was so much bigger then, we didn't have the internet to connect us and we didn't know very much about other cultures. There, we had so much trust in institutions and so much trust that America was the best country in the world. Any other country was just like, we'll just look it up in the encyclopedia and that will be what we use to d- depict it. But although, you know, the writing is quite sympathetic towards the Indian it criminals. Is. Right? I didn't mind mm-hmm. this storyline of the of the poisoned medicine and uh, and his motivation and everything. I thought it was like it tugged at your heartstrings a little. You felt for him. You know, it didn't seem unreasonable that someone could, you know, that that could happen. Yeah. You know? Hassan is the most reasonable person in this yeah. episode. A hundred percent. Yeah. Everyone yeah, yeah. else is. I'm like, who are you? Why are you here? Yeah, Hassan, yeah. it's very clear um, yeah. what what his motivation and why he feels the way he does, which right. which makes a lot of sense. Oh, I found exactly. another little wrinkle in this story, which is in his plan, which I thought was funny. At the end, when they pull out this uh they pull out the trunk full of gold coins <laughs> that the bad guy had been hiding in his bunk. I'm like, you could have started with this. You didn't have to starve them out for two nights. Like, yeah. just search the train till you find a yeah. trunk full of gold coins. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So, so I had a, yeah, there was a plotting issue that never made sense to me. Well, first of all, there was a great bit of that bit of dialogue when they find the gold coins where Hassan <laughs> says something like, this is it or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Always, <laughs> I love I love that, that line. Um, and the other thing is, I still didn't know what the whole hold up kidnapping was for. Did they not know who poisoned them? Like, I'm assuming that they sold it to the adult son or something and the adult son is dead. So can't identify them. Uh, so they know that they're white and European, but they don't know anything else. So they're just mm-hmm. like trying to force a confession by starving them out. Do either of you know why the medicine, um, poisoning took place? Like I could not. What's the motivation of the actual bad guys, right? right? Like, yeah, why no, did that money? happen? For money. That's what he said, for money. Yeah, he says, uh, so, I, so it seemed like the backstory was that these guys were, were unwell and they needed Western medicines. And these guys sold them spurious Western medicines and made a profit. Right. Um, right. And maybe they're, maybe they're snake oil salesmen who go from town to town doing that. And yeah. some, some of their batches are tainted and, you know, they don't care because they're making money or whatever. I still think... I don't know if Hassan has done this before. 
you know, I'm a bit worried <laughs> about what kind of decoy it is because, first of all, he shoots an innocent train conductor. There's no meaning of that because what he really needs to do is go up person to person, point the gun to their forehead and say, I don't know, search. I, it just seems yeah. the whole tactic is no, very he, and elaborate. I, I, think they, I think this is intentional. I think they made it, like they made the first shooting of the train conductor accidental on purpose. And I think they made him a softy on purpose so that MacGyver could swing him the other way. And it's clear that he's never done this before. He's never like, uh, he's, they're not terrorists, right? They're mm. just out to get revenge on the people who did this to them. Uh, so yeah, I think they were intending for it to, okay, these people aren't criminals. They're just like fucking up this hijacking. You're absolutely right. But there is, of course, one slight logistical problem, even after all this is solved and the bad guys are caught, uh, because now they've decided that these guys are going to stand trial. Right. Um, and I think they're going to go to Ramjer yeah. now, but they've blown up the fucking bridge. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, I not think of that. <laughs> doesn't matter if you're a good guy or a bad guy, you're going to yeah. need someone from yeah. my favorite thing on this podcast, the Indian Railways Department. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to come in buses or something. Yeah, and yeah. I have been stuck in an Indian train in the middle of the monsoons without a bridge collapsing. Um, and let me just tell you the procedure which MacGyver's people will have to use, which we don't see in this episode. Uh, they'll have to wait. <laughs> this is the epilogue, in other words, the epilogue of this episode. This is what they should have shot. Yeah. Uh, they're going to get 20 buses, get everybody, check everyone's passports, and decoits and non-decoits will have to get on that bus mm-hmm. <laughs> and drive to Ramjer and then sort out whatever litigation they're going to sort out there. But that train isn't going anywhere because they've just blown up the bridge. Yeah, yeah yes, that's correct. a good point. That's a really <laughs> good point. Um, well, I want to talk about some of the uh, other secondary characters because the the drunk doctor and uh, the young woman who's being uh, controlled by her mother. How did that feel to you all? I mean, this is after, of course, he says, I'm a cripple, you're black. Neither is a condition for sympathy, <laughs> um, which presented its whole, a whole other problem because then uh, the Andrea just straight up forgives him two times in a row very quickly for that. Um, but also the doctor basically accidentally straight up gut punches Diana. Um, and I just wrote, is this our meat cute for them? <laughs> like, is this intended <laughs> to be our meat cute? Cause he punches the shit out of her from behind. Uh, I don't know. What was your feeling on, uh, on the doctor and the young one, the young ingenue? Well, you know, well, two things. First of all, um, with the doctor, when that first bit happened, um, I just thought that you could get away with this stuff in the 1980s. Like, if you gave a writer a brief that says, make a side character unlikable, Hmm. you could just flat out just give him a a reasonably racist line and make, Hmm. you know, him punch a woman in the stomach. (laughs) You know, you could do these sorts of things in the 1980s and get away with it. Like, it would it would still be things from which a character could be redeemed. Sure. <laughs> you know, if you did that in 2020, an audience yeah. would be like, fuck it, I'm done with this guy. Yeah, right, right. Um, but the second thing is that I honestly thought he was the murderer. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. thought they were setting that up because typically yeah. in 80s television, mm-hmm. if you are vaguely rude to a person, they are setting you up to be the bad guy of the episode. Also, and you're British, which is like, yeah, you're British, yeah. which is never a good sign in mm-hmm. the 80s uh, <laughs> TV. And um, and yeah, you're like you're kind of a dick at the beginning of the episode. Of course, you're going to wind up having the nefarious plan. Um, but 
it seems that all of that was completely unnecessary. Um, well, also, at the uh, so he gives his big speech where he explains how he lost his arm. Yeah, and that played to me as a speech of someone who was manipulating a woman by lying to her. That's what um, I thought. Like, <laughs> There's thought... no way that this happened to him. He's telling her this because he's trying to get her to fall in love with him, and it's working. And that's how. And I, I only realized after the episode was all over that we were intended to fall in love with him there too. Um, and I was like, are the writers trying to make us think he's the bad guy and then they're going to turn on us? And I was like, no, that's already been covered. The weird, yeah. the weird skinny businessman with the, with the briefcase full of cash is the red herring. Yeah. So the yeah. doctor is just, they straight up think we are going to fall for that, that schlocky speech of his. And from a 2020 mindset, it's like, this guy is manipulating her. <laughs> he's definitely, there's something weird about this. But it's just because it's exactly why you say, Anavab, it's because they're trying to bring him from a position that's irredeemable to a position of being redeemed. And we're not buying it from our standpoint. Right. And I, want, I, I just thought, you know, doctor, the, the issue at hand is spurious medicine. Mm -hmm. He's right, claiming that he doesn't have an arm. Yeah. We're going to but, find out he does. But at the end, we get to find out he's willing to give his whole life up to go help these people. And she's willing to leave her mother. And her mother is willing to bankroll the whole thing. And thank God for white people. Am I right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, white yeah, people helping always, poor brown always, people at always, the end of this episode is always. cringe. Oh, yeah. Well, not even more than race. Mothers and daughters and British doctors coming together. <laughs> you, know? you know, that's equally important. You know, that. Um, oh my God. I loved how the mother went from like undermining the daughter at every stage to suddenly saying, Oh, now you've just from this one action of philanthropy, yeah, you've now come into your own and let yeah, me no. know if there's anything you need. Yeah, exactly. She, she, she earned her, you know, independence somehow with this, yeah. with this uh, train ride. And yeah, that none of that tracked to me. I wanted the doctor to lose his, another arm. <laughs> All right, hold it steady for me, will you? So we have the lie detector test at the end, which we've already talked about. And of course, lie detectors in real life are notoriously unreliable. But mm -hmm. the fact that he built one out of an alarm clock and we're meant to believe uh, that it works is... Uh, just hysterical. It was good enough for his aunt. He was like, you know what? I trust this. <laughs> I trust this. Your son would have understood. Um, I also uh, love the line where the two lovers say something and then he says, that's not a lie. That's love or something. Yeah. And I know. That was so strange because why <laughs> did that even happen? Why did it set off the, <laughs> I loved uh, anything that sounds like a catchphrase. Uh, he has a line earlier when he says, um, he has a right, but he's wrong. Uh, I love that line and I love the love line because they're clear. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Yeah. Um, it was a rare instance of clear writing on this show. So yeah, you have that's to give my it point, is that, that it stands out in contrast. <laughs> it's very um, good. But I mean, it just raised the question of what kind of device is this that can trace lying and love and makes the same heart rates noise? and sweat man yeah. that's all it's uh, really? it's true the, so another thing i liked about this episode is uh finally at the end of season one we're getting some episodes with an ending um many 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 of the first episodes are just the final action sequence happens and then credits roll and uh we're finally getting like a little coda on some of these and so at least we get this like moment and we have to have it because it's this uh train drama where we have to wrap everybody's storylines up and many of them are ridiculous. I mean, the very end 
uh, when he decides to take the job. And then MacGyver says, primitive working conditions, lousy hours, monster workload, no pay. <laughs> and then the next line is, what a deal. Um, and in between, there is maybe 20 whole seconds where the entire cast of the show approaches him. The little girl runs up to him and gives him the doll again. He bends down to hug the little girl. It takes goddamn forever. And it's so clear that... Okay, extras walk up to this mark. Little girl, walk up further. You stand in front of MacGyver. <laughs> like, it's so choreographed and stupid. But it's great. Um, I didn't understand the no pay bit because the mother is bankrolling. Yeah, she's going to get paid. <laughs> also, let's not forget, I don't know if by the end of this episode, the situation is going to improve for these Indian villagers because yeah, right. they go from spurious medicines to a doctor who hasn't practiced in 20 years. <laughs> who is a known asshole. Like, yeah, why yeah, are so you yeah. putting yourself yeah. under the care of this yeah. guy? Yeah. He's an alcoholic. He's, yeah. yeah. At no point do the do the patients have any agency here. To <laughs> he, say. It hasn't been 20 years. It's been like seven weeks since he lost his arm or something. Because Mar- MacGyver tracks it in the beginning. He's like, it's, it's recent, right? And he's like, oh, impressive. Oh, right, right, right. You're right. Yeah. And he explained some story where a guy walked into a medical practice with a shotgun. Yeah. That was a great story. In a uh, British hospital. Like, yeah. This is the reason I didn't believe it. I was like, th- he's bullshitting her right now. There's no yeah, way this is what no. happened to him. No. And oh, we didn't talk about this, but um, but the very when he finally vanquishes the real bad guy, he straight up says, I rigged the circuits to blow on you before he touches the thing, which he doesn't have to do. He could just say, don't do it or you know, I'm warning you or anything, but he tells him specifically what not to touch and why um, before he fries himself. And I, the only reason I could come up with was, you know, just as every time MacGyver vanquishes anybody in this show, we, we have to see that they're okay. We have to see if they're either unconscious, they pop back up, they're never dead. I think they, they're either gonna, they're going to fry this guy and they need us to know it's not MacGyver's fault, right? So if he has all the information and he still grabs the throttle, then boy, it's his own fault. Does he die? It's not clear to me. I, I could not <laughs> I couldn't ascertain tell. that. Yeah. He's fried, but I don't know if he's unconscious. He or says dead, up so. top that there's going to be enough electricity to kill someone, right? I think he says it. To Uncurl the... their beard is what he says. Yeah. Which I yeah, was like, yeah, is yeah. this racist? I can't tell. Yeah. No, as in like, I assume... Yeah, it's anti-robbers. I think if, yeah. <laughs> if, if it's, it's anti-robbers from the 1840s. So. Yeah, if you've yeah. got a robber 200 years ago who's got a beard, like you're in that <laughs> Afghan war movie. Um, but also, let's not forget that very early on, that train driver lets a complete stranger re-soldier his equipment, like. Wouldn't the train driver lose his job? Like he's hundred percent, hundred. That is a bad train driver, in my yeah. opinion, because that is as a passenger, I want to know that there's a little bit more security happening mm-hmm. when I am boarding a train. Yep. All right, gang. Uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more with our guest, and we're going to find out where this episode falls on our DT and P rating system. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Annie, what is the number one movie that people reference on this podcast when we ask them about MacGyver? That would be MacGruber, Nathan. Yes, the Will Forte MacGyver spoof, MacGruber. Which neither of us have ever seen. Which seems like something that as co-hosts of this podcast, we maybe ought to rectify. So we're going to host a live virtual watch party 
of McGruber. That's right. You can join us on Saturday, December 26th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, and you can watch the movie right along with us. And you'll get to watch us watching the movie and participate in a live chat with other fans. It sounds like fun. Uh, We're also (laughs) going to be doing a quick 20-minute review of what we thought of the film directly afterwards, and we'll be collecting donations for Feeding Chittenden, which is the food bank in Burlington, Vermont. The event is free, and you can find out more information and get the link to watch the movie with us at themacgyverpod.com slash MacGruber. That is December 26th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. See you there. Happy holidays, and on with the show. We're back with our guest, Anavab. And Anavab, we're going to do a segment now called It's Classified. We are on a mission to figure out what the best episode of MacGyver is. So we're going to rate this episode. It's a little uh, rapid fire game. Each one of us is going to score slow death. We didn't really talk about the title, but apt, I will. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna... My soul did take a long time to die. <laughs> As uh, you know, I'll quote another podcast guest of ours. So much happens, but so slowly is what Julia <laughs> DeFerdinando said. I think it applies here. Um, all right. We're going to eat. Each one of us is going to score slow death from one through 10 on four different characteristics, starting with you, Anna Bob, because you're our guest. How exciting was this episode on a scale of one to 10 for you? And that and that can be compared to anything. So I, that's great, great. I like to compare excitement to anything. Anything you <laughs> like want. Like to bungee jump. Yeah. Other anything. media, yeah. any yeah. Stuff, stuff today, whatever. The actual Afghan war, like yeah. anything you want to <laughs> compare it to. Yeah, yeah. the actual battle. Um, I'd want to give it a three. Okay. I'm being a little harsh because okay. I don't think it was a very exciting episode. Um it was an episode that you kept watching because you were like, this is definitely not going anywhere. Where is this going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I get that for sure. What about you, Annie? I I was also not uh, excited by this. Um, there were a few, a few exceptions to that. So I'm going to go with a four. Four, yep. I don't usually score things this low, but I agree with you all. Uh, I think it was sort of a boring one. Um, that doesn't mean it was bad. It just wasn't yeah. super exciting. So I will give it a four. Uh, acting and writing. These are two combined uh, things, Anavab. So how would you rate the acting? I'm going to give this, this an ironic rating. I think it's a nine. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Excellent blow up this acting. Whole thing. I love Excellent it. writing. Uh, no, no, I, I, I should be earnest. I'm going to give it a four. A four. Okay. What about you, Annie? I am going to give this a five because as poorly written and acted as this episode <laughs> is, we see a lot worse on this show. <laughs> um, so oh, I have shit. to, I have to put it on the spectrum of okay. what we've All seen. Right. Yeah. There's some fun performances. There was stuff to enjoy here, but I'll give it a five and a half. How about sheer innovation? This is the MacGyverisms. We didn't even talk about several of these. He made a fucking horse whistle out of a bottle top at one point i um, loved that, that he, throw- <laughs> he throws a boot on a roof of a train he uh he, he lights a bunch of uh booze on fire on the roof of the train what do you think of the inventiveness of it on a scale of one to ten well i'm gonna give it an eight because he set an in the roof of an indian train on fire with the local moonshine um <laughs> and yeah, i've drunk some indian country liquor and i have to say 
a lot more of the train would be on fire if they used the actual <laughs> actual booze right, that they so drink we in have rural hit, India. We have hit upon the one culturally and historically accurate part of this episode. Yeah, if, if anything, he downplayed the power yeah, of right, alcohol. Right. <laughs> Annie, you got ideas about this? I am giving this a seven. Um, I liked the horse whistle as as unrealistic <laughs> as it is that those guys would be on horseback. Like the fact yeah. that he builds a, you know, the whistle, he does the, the kind of local moonshine thing and he builds his own damn lie detector test. Like I'm sure it doesn't work, but at least he put something together. So yeah. I'm yeah, I, that's good. I always think about, did this give me what I came for, for in a MacGyver episode? And certainly there were plenty of those moments. Not many of them were uh, quite as satisfying as I would have liked, but they kept me interested. So I'll give it a seven and a half. Uh, fourth category, 80s cool factor. So this is just how cool is this from an 80s pop culture standpoint? Now, we talked earlier about how you basically missed uh, 80s pop culture in America um, uh, and then came here and caught it all in reruns. But, uh, you know, all that Knight Rider shit that you were so in love with and Airwolf and uh, how does this episode stack up against the coolest 80s shit you can think oh, of? Oh, it's up there. It's up there. It's... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to have to give this an eight and a half on that category because, you know, okay. it's got lovely tacky Indian stuff, uh -huh. uh, you know, like criminals in sachets and turbans, <laughs> uh, a first class train from James Bond, right. uh, a diplomat with a, with a generic name. Uh, <laughs> uh, so casual racism. It's got everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an unqualified train conductor. It's got, <laughs> it's superb stuff. Some gentle misogyny. Like it's got great 80s, <laughs> 80s stuff in there. Oh, that's great. What about you, Annie? I, yeah, I don't know. This was missing a few things for me um, in terms of the coolness because it didn't feel that 80s to me, honestly. Mm. Like I, like that train could have been in the 40s and I would have mm -hmm. believed it, you know? Yeah. Um. So I feel like on that account, like we didn't hear any music really from the era. We didn't really see anything that I consider mm -hmm. to be like super 80s. Mm -hmm. um, but we did have some of those um, 80s storytelling devices sure. and writing and acting that is for sure um and i i do think that andrea's outfit was a very um yes like 80s business casual type of it. uh look and so i did enjoy that so i'm gonna say this is a five for me five cool uh i agree i loved andrea's outfit i loved uh i loved seeing macgyver with slightly shaggier blonder hair i mm -hmm. think that's like headed in the right direction for 80s cool um, and I think, uh, the two sort of ingenues, the, the yuppie girl mm -hmm. and also the girl with the mom both had similar kind of like bowl mullet kind of hairstyles, which felt yes. eighties to me. I'll give it a six and a half. That half point is definitely for the highlights. Cause there used to know. be an in a TV show that we used to get sporadically in India called Cacti and Lacey. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. and and for some reason, both those women reminded me of Cagney and Lucy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, they do have like a, or a Laverne and Shirley kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. um, there are three bonus categories. It will get an extra five points uh, if any of these things is true. Helps out an old friend. Does MacGyver help out an old friend? No, he's on his own in this no. one. Does an ex girlfriend make an appearance? Nope. Um, and is he detained against his will? I think he is, right? Yes. Because of the so that gives him five points. That is It's Classified. It's time to reveal the results. Out of a total possible 135 points, this episode receives 73 points, making it the 
sixth worst episode we've seen so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is solidly down at the bottom third of the pile. Um, it, it falls directly underneath every time she smiles and above to be a man. Anubab, where can people find you online? Uh, how can you plug what you're doing uh, as we say goodbye to people tonight? Well, I'm at uh, on Twitter at Anavapal. And well, if people like listening to nonsense, we do a podcast <laughs> uh, called Our Last Week. Um, yes. It's a podcast where we talk about weekly conundrums and happenings in India. And occasionally we get American guests on who send us their conundrums about their country um, and increasingly watching the American elections. Um, and the fact that people are not willing to concede, etc. It's beginning to look a lot like India. So my, both the cultures I've mm. lived in are, are meshing now with their corruption. Yeah, yeah. So it's lovely. Um, <laughs> it's a lovely enmeshing of corruption. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. That is it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe and review and keep in touch. Our website is themacgyverpod.com and our socials are at themacgyverpod. If you want to watch old episodes of the show along with us, you can get them on CBS All Access or buy them on Amazon for a buck an episode. Next week, we'll be breaking down Season 1, Episode 20, The Escape. Take care, everybody, and remember, in the immortal words of our buddy Mac, friends, friends are the, the adventures, adventures of, of life. life. Good night, everybody. Good night.